For the first bonus episode of the podcast this summer, I've taken an excerpt of the second conversation I had with Dr. Kevin Folta after talking with him about GMOs and biotech, where I got more into the controversy he's been involved in. And I should note up front that there are a lot of sensitive topics that are discussed uh, herein, from Dr. Kevin Folta's mental state uh, when he was under a lot of controversy to harassment techniques used by people online and in real life. So take that as you will before listening and, and using your discretion. Anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode. Is it okay if I say that, you know, you're, you're affiliated with the University of Florida, but not speaking on behalf of the University of Florida? I think that's fair to articulate it that way because I am a professor at the University of Florida, but um, I'm not allowed to speak on these subjects of science communication or biotechnology or anything as a representative of the university, even though that's my area of expertise. (laughs) So uh, uh, in 2019, I was told, um, you're done. You don't go talk about this stuff anymore and had to cancel talks, which was absolutely heartbreaking and uh, had to really argue to get my podcast, you know, with 2 million downloads, um, be allowed to do that. But it just means I have to cover everything with disclaimers that say um, this is not a product of the University of Florida. And the same here. I'm, I'm speaking to you as Kevin Fult, a private citizen, not as a, a agent of the university. How has that kind of affected your credibility as a scientist in any way? I mean, like, have you ever had I mean, obviously, if you've had to cancel talks, you know, is it you canceling the talks or I assume you're saying that, you know, it was canceled on the other end? Because of- I was told, I was told, I told the agencies and all the different folks, some who had me on schedule for one and a half years, I said, this is um, something I've been told to do. I feel really bad about it. You know, I'm really sorry. And all of them understood. And some of them even invited me back this year. So right. um, as a private citizen on my own vacation time, mm-hmm. which is really cool because I can do it on my vacation time, um, independent of the university. I have to apply for paperwork that says that this is being done. And, you know, it, and it's, it's really sad because I'm doing exactly what every scientist should be doing. And I'm not allowed to do at least as a faculty. Member. Right. Which is ironic because, I mean, in a lot of, you know, the interviews that I've watched with you and what I've read about you, you know, you seem to be, you know, very enthusiastic about specifically being a public scientist. Like I'm sure you could have gone and, you know, worked in private agribusiness and, you know, private biotech is a big industry. Um, so it's kind of actually strange, you know, that as a public scientist, you're being walked back in terms of what you can talk about. Well, from a public university yeah. that whose, whose job by the 1862 Moral Act is to extend what we learn in research to the general public. I'm following exactly what uh, Abraham Lincoln and his Congress back then saw as a visionary idea. Mm. And I, I love that. And that's what I loved about being a part of a land grant institution. And I still do appreciate about our role in as a land-grant institution. But um, I've been commanded in no uncertain way to not do that. And so now I do this as, and at first it really bothered me. And I thought, I am going to fight this and I'm going to fight this. I'm going to take this to the Supreme Court. (laughs) But then I realized after a little bit that without having the yoke of the university on me and without having, you know, any kind of, I don't know if I want to say not having oversight, but without having that the university as my overlord here, I could just do my teaching and do my research and then do all the communication stuff as a private citizen and actually get paid to do it. And, you know, I, I 
took home paychecks for talking about um, how to have a vaccine compliant workforce with big companies. Uh, and it was fantastic. Hmm. It was some of the most stimulating work of my career and probably where I'll do going forward. I think, you know, after I'm done with university, I think I'll probably go into private consulting strictly in communications. And it's a shame I can't do it as a, as a for free, as a service of the university, but that's their decision and I'll respect that. Do you think that any of your, I guess, kind of dis, disbarment <laughs> is, is an interesting term to use, but uh, I think disbarment uh, kind of by the university and communications, um, do you think that lends you any sort of credibility in a, in a kind of, not in a fringe way, but, you know, because you already have credibility with the science community or the scientific community. That, that's a good question. I, I think that when you have the firepower of a major university that does beautiful work behind you, it does give you, it shows your motivation, right? And that's a big part of trust is why are you here? Well, I'm here because I'm an educator and I work for a university and I want to give you new information to help you make better decisions. And that says a lot because having that university background or that university affiliation shows your motivation. This is part of my job as an educator. I lose that when I go out as a private citizen because people think, are you doing this to hammer a paycheck? Hmm. Are you doing this? Which the answer is yes. Um, are you doing this? But, but, but the big motivation is I'm doing this because I'm an educator and I care and I want to get it right. I want people to make good decisions, but it's great to get paid to do it. You know, it's great to be able to receive compensation for my expertise in those areas. So yeah, I do get paid to do it. And that does take away from the trust. Hmm. Because they say, well, obviously you're motivated by the money. That's why you're out talking about vaccines. You know, well, no, I'm here because I care about public health. So you see how it does detract a little bit from your credibility. So what are the kinds of things that would people, you know, would say or, or you know, send to the university, I guess, in letter form, you know, that would, would get you all this institutional level backlash? Yeah, it was it was a lot of stuff. I mean, there were people who were making outrageous claims about about me, you know, I've been through some crazy personal stuff with, you know, previous relationships where people would, you know, in very maliciously targeted ways, make allegations about drunk driving and which is never a thing. Um, allegations about um, uh, uh, spousal abuse, allegations about uh, uh, harassing children and teenagers. I mean, all this stuff that is so insidious that what they're trying to do is take opportunities away from you. And it works. Um, I don't get to go to grade schools as much as I used to. And COVID, you know, of course, is part of that. But uh, this was going back to 2015 when these allegations really started coming up. You, people Google you and a parent at that school would say, I don't want him here. Hmm. And I don't care if it's not true. I'm not taking a chance. So it does succeed to take you out of these important conversations. So what you do is two things. One, you use other media where you can get into people's homes, such as video and print media, but you also um, deputize a generation of new writers and communicators. And one of the most satisfying things I do is teach my students how to write. And the students in my class, I say, if you want to help do this, you want to write something, I will help you get it published in a great place. And having connections throughout scientific media, I'm able to get their articles put in places where it helps their careers. And so we're still disseminating the science. I'm still communicating. I'm just doing it through another conduit and it helps them. It helps me. 
and it allows us to get the message out to the people that need to hear it. Um, but uh, it doesn't bring the derision of having me attached to it. I mean, in terms of all all the all the you know personal attacks against you, would you say like? I guess I haven't seen as much of like you know the stuff about drunk driving, for instance. Um, I had really just seen the controversy around you know vaccines. You know, I, I see stuff like um, uh, one of the things that was interesting to me was like saying that you were like paid by Monsanto, and I like looked through like the I kind of went down that rabbit hole and I really couldn't like find what was what was going on with that in terms of like all the controversies which it's crazy that there are a lot for like a a horticultural sciences you know professor is there like anything where there's like a grain of truth that just kind of gets like manipulated into something larger than it is oh sure there's a bunch of that because a lot of the stuff does start with a grain of truth because that makes it more believable for them right um, the the Monsanto controversy started when we were at a meeting in 2013 or something. And I have, you know, when you're a plant biologist, someone you know in your class ended up working at Monsanto or Cortiva or whatever. Hmm. And so I had a friend who um, I, I met somewhere along the line who I talked into coming to give a talk about jobs in industry for our students. And our students gave great presentations. And I coached all of them, or coached a bunch of them up anyway. And he said, wow, your students do a great job. That's really good. I said, yeah, it's so important that we do the communication thing. And he goes, you know, we have some extra money left around um, at the end of our year. We can maybe give a donation to the university to help you do that at other schools. And we had a conversation over beers and said, let's do it. And a few months later, a check showed up that was for this science communication effort, which means if I was giving a talk at University of Minnesota, I could stay for an extra day and get a hotel room and a rental car and maybe put out donuts and coffee and invite people for a science communication class. Right. And that was the plan. Um, the problem is they sent it in a boilerplate letter that said, this can be used any way you like. <laughs> mm. And so it allowed uh, people out there when they got hold of that letter, because it's all public record, to say, look, he's being paid $25,000. Well, no, $25,000 allows me to do 12 extra sessions, you know, because it costs money to rent space and to, you know, stay in hotels and take flights. and So So it really was nothing insidious that was made to look really insidious. And on top of it, people would say, well, what's your relationship with Monsanto? I'd say, I don't have a relationship with Monsanto. I know some people who work there, you know, that they don't sponsor my research and all that's true. But then they would say, aha, what about this $25,000 that was paid to you in your pocket? No, that wasn't it. But they were able to build that narrative. And the other one was I was working as a subject matter expert um, in a uh, non-legal case. I was working for a law firm and had to file some paperwork. And people were able to bend that as me consulting for a big company when that wasn't the case at all. I was analyzing some ancient data that didn't matter. And so uh, these kinds of things are basically seed of truth situations that get spun out of control. And once the internet gets hold of them, they they dictate the narrative. And anything you say that's true, it doesn't get the attention and shows up pages later rather than on the front page. When it comes to Monsanto, why do you think that that's the controversy that sticks with you? You know, it'll be like on like a, you know, like a tweet, like, you know, two weeks ago, for instance, it'll be like Monsanto show, but this like event happened a long time ago. And it's also kind of funny because like, I don't know you personally, but 
um, $25,000 doesn't seem like something you would like ruin your academic integrity for, you know what I mean? Like your entire, your entire career as a public scientist, that doesn't seem like an amount of money that would, uh, unless you were in like I, some dire need. I wouldn't do it for 25 million Yeah, because I get my jollies and I get my happiness out of spreading science and talking to people about how cool, what way these technologies are and thinking about ways to get them to the food secure, insecure faster you know, how do we help the environment? How do we help farmers? How do we help the, the hungry in the world? That's the stuff that gets me excited. I mean, it brings tears to my freaking eyes sometimes thinking about it. And I, I wouldn't sell out for any price. It's just not the way I'm wired. It's not, money is not, you know, of course it's important. You need it to do whatever you do in life, but it's not my motivation. If it was, I would have worked for Monsanto mm. and I would have made three times the paycheck I make as a scientist in a public institution. Um, but it, it wasn't my motivation. Right. So, you know, and then the funny thing I love about like the tweet you mentioned when someone says just a show for Monsanto and this comes up, you know, kind of almost every day, but um, I'll always respond with, I'll always quote tweet it and put, should I let him know that Monsanto hasn't been a company for three years? Right. <laughs> so it, they've been gone for three and a half years. Uh, it, so anyway, it's, it's, it is funny to see that. Hmm. I didn't even I didn't even know they were gone. Did they dissolve or did they just? Um, they were originally going to be purchased by Bayer, okay. the German company, and they were because Bayer wanted their seed lines, their seed industry side, uh, to complement what Bayer had already gotcha. as a crop science side, and it went through all kinds of antitrust um, discussion of how to break the company up so that nobody had too much of anything. Big chunks of it went to. Um, BASF. Uh, parts of it went to parts of Bayer went to BASF. Uh, parts of BASF went to Bayer. There's just shifting around of personalities, or, uh, people, and and uh, and intellectual property seeds, that kind of thing, that rebalanced the equation of big seed companies. That's all. Hmm. And uh, so they were kind of bought up and absorbed. All of their executives, all of their people who ran the company are gone. They all have moved on to other things. So it's a very different environment with respect to that company. So, I mean, even if you wanted to collect another $25,000 check, you couldn't, not from Monsanto anyways. I can't collect, I could not collect a uh, big check from Agri Big Ag if I was the last person in the world, right? Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I, I, they would not ever fund anything for me again. Right. And here's because why. Of, yeah. yeah. Because... I was out there talking about science and I was by talking about it, making their business opportunities better because we're clarifying what this technology is and isn't. And one of my students, she, you know, she bless her heart, Kiana Elliott, um, wonderful, wonderful student. Uh, she was asked to go out to dinner with mm. some companies that were kind of courting her for a job. And um, she was with uh, some other students and someone started talking about me and they didn't know that she was my student. And uh, how, what do you think of Kevin Fulton, the work he does? And the person from the company said, he's better for us if we have nothing to do with it. Mm. And, and that, you know, we would never, you know, that, that we wouldn't even ask him to go to dinner because we, he's worth more to us with absolutely no affiliation. Mm. And it's kind of sad, but that's where we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you wish you could get paid for uh, helping their business. 
I, I would I would be happy with getting paid to help them, but I would you know I I just want like another some conference swag, right? <laughs> I, I get you. Mug. I can't even have a pen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I I can't even take a pen from the you know from the bear booth. I used to have a bear knit baseball cap, and that disappeared. But you know all the it it just is it's really a sad state of things when I can't even one of the big things online that you'll see is how I'm hiding money from right. industry. And, you know, this came when someone near and dear to me decided to turn on me and emailed a check stub from the Monsanto company for $832.18 to uh, that's, GM. That's the other one I saw, yeah. And, and all it was was they called me in 2013 and said, actually a friend of mine out there, she called me and said, she works with uh, Extension somewhere and said, hey, uh, if you could you come out here and talk to our farmers about what genetic engineering technology is specifically so they understand it and really get them up to speed because they're having a lot of discussions in Boulder County with new rules and they all want to know exactly how it works. And I said, I would love to do that. I don't have a budget. Can you please um, cover my costs? I'll be happy to do it. And so I went out there. I flew coach out. I stayed in a crappy hotel. I drove a tiny little rental car. I took another horrible flight that was way too early in the morning because it was the cheapest one. And I got home and submitted my receipts for $823.64, whatever it was. And, um, and they sent me a check, said, we're going to cover your costs. And, <laughs> and I didn't get anything. I didn't get a penny. I didn't get anything. If anything, I lost money because I paid for my right. own meal. And this was raised as high collusion. Yeah. <laughs> of, uh, you know, and so this, this is an exact, it's a great example of, of how bad the climate is against scientists who, who try to do the right thing. So do you think that, that this is all just being done specifically? I don't want to even use the term witch hunt, but do you think it's all just like to discredit you? Is it particularly for GMO stuff? There's just two sets. One of the people who are really pro-organic and think that, you know, me having conversations about how genetic engineering is a positive threatens their industry or their interests. Um, there's still some of those around. There's other people who still uh, have a bone to pick with glyphosate and they, you know, they'll still go after me. There's some people in science communication who, because of reasons of professional jealousy or, you know, hate, I don't feel that that's warranted. Um, I'm doing, not doing anything special. I just got, you know, I'll get some opportunities, but I get opportunities they don't. And so they kind of feel they got to tear me down. Hmm. and people I've had some personal differences in about the way we would maybe do a citizen science project or something. You know, they've really gone after me by harassing my university. Uh, one has recently said that I'm in, involved in a uh, cultural appropriation because I use Rosa, Rosa Parks on my uh, website, on my uh, podcast website, because I admire Rosa Parks and her tenacity to stand up for what's right, which is what I try to do. And people like Rosa Parks, like John Lewis, Norman Borlaug. These are people who stick out in my mind as heroes. And to the people who want to criticize me, say he's appropriating African-Americans for his own advance. No, not at all. That they were people who were in the most dire of circumstances, who I respect because despite those circumstances, when the deck was stacked against them, when society was stacked against them, they stood up and said, no, here's the way it's going to go. That's the level of tenacity I wish I could have. And but yet they'll go after me and say, this is racist. This is uh, cultural appropriation. 
God, that just drives me nuts because it's not, it's nothing like that at all. Do you think that all the, actually, I, I was going to say not hate, but I think hate is actually an apt word. Do you think all the online hate has changed you personally in any way? Yeah, I know. I know it has. I know it, it's affected me professionally. It's affected me personally. It's, um, it's made me a lot softer towards, especially and given me a lot of empathy for other people who are being in the days of cancel culture, who are being thrown under the bus because I was there and I sat at a point on an airplane when they said one time I was out on my way to Montreal and I was sitting in the, in the seat and they said, the plane isn't going to take off on time because we're having some mechanical issues and we're getting it checked. And I sat there thinking, if this plane has a mechanical issue and it crashes, that will be okay because I can't do this anymore. I mean, and I was talking about life. I was saying, and I wasn't suicidal, but I certainly would have been happy to not be in the situation I was in anymore. And it was extremely painful time. And the university, you know, trailing me everywhere I went, I gave talks to see what I would say. Um, uh, having articles come out by people I used to respect uh, saying that I was, you know, corrupt and having uh, articles come out saying I was harassing teenagers. There's only so much a human can take. And so I really have a lot of empathy and forgiveness for people who make mistakes or slip up or weren't clear, or maybe were completely wrong and giving second chances and, and understanding how much it hurts to be uh, the victim of the torches and pitchforks. Um, and then the thing is, the only, your only way out is to keep doing good work. And hmm. that's what I would say to anybody who's been a victim of this is dial it up. Don't dial it back and show them who you really are. And uh, that's the way it's changed me a lot. You know, you kind of have been disheartened at several points. Um, have you ever gotten, I, I mean, I feel like a natural response would be, as a lot of people are on the internet, angry in response to the anger. It gives me the fortitude as to how to be more strategic in getting what I want out of this. Mm. How do I want to be remembered by history? And as the guy who quit, that would have been okay. Um, quitting would have been good. But I think this is too important of a mission to quit. And I would like to be the one who, at the end of the day, that despite a heart attack by the New York Times, by activist groups who, who you know, did everything they could to destroy my name and my reputation, who have littered the internet in ways that I will take to the grave, to have people like, you know, Stephen Novella a couple of years ago from Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, great podcast and a really wonderful scientist said, um, my skeptic of the year is Kevin Fulton because it keeps coming and he keeps dealing with it. And having that kind of recognition by people I respect, that matters all in the world. And I will not quit because I'm not going to give that to the people who want me out. Hmm. So I think one of the one of the strangest things at least to me because this is obviously this isn't a position that i've been in but why do you think that the you know the hatred and kind of the vitriol has followed you for so long people's memories are also pretty short term in the things they like to hate so i'm 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 interested in if you have some kind of hypothesis as to why you know this has followed you for so long i think it's because um i'm still as they want to believe what they want to believe, 
and push for the agendas they want to push. There's this little tiny Kevin Fulton standing on their shoulder and speaking in their ear that maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Mm. I think that may be my uh, persistence and the fact that I can approach this with softness and take somebody who's wronged me and maligned me and give them a hug and say, can we please go have a pizza and rethink this? Um, that kind of uh, compassion for others who maybe have treated you with great malice, um, realizing that maybe they have been misled and maybe they don't know what they're doing, um, that maybe they um, just need to understand you as a person to rethink their position. Now, that's some powerful stuff there. And I think uh, that may be part of the reason why it keeps coming, uh, that we continue to make a difference and change hearts and minds in good, positive ways. And uh, I think as long as we keep doing that, we're going to keep, we'll always have the haters. That just means we're doing a good job. Yeah, I think it, it's it's kind of strange because like the way that you see it, at least in, in pop science right now is with, you know, COVID-19 misinformation. Uh, and so it's kind of hearkening back to our earlier conversation about, you know, the way that certain, I mean, even particular scientists, the way the way that they've you know, given COVID-19 misinformation, but still, I, I guess that there's some part of me that like thinks that there's something kind of, kind of interesting about, you know, your case in particular, because really you faced a lot of controversy. And I keep thinking this for kind of saying mainstream scientific information. And I, it's not, something's not computing there for me, I guess, like. Me neither. And because, you know, what someone needs to do is go back, and I, I keep telling people to do this, is go back to the 2013 blogs, go back to the 2010 blogs, and look at what they were saying, and look what I was saying, and look what mainstream science was saying, and look what all of our opponents were saying. And you know what? We were right. And they were wrong. And in a lot of cases, they lied. It wasn't that they were ignorant, and they just didn't know enough. They, they knew better, and they lied. Mm. And they did it for a profit. They did it for all the things they accuse us for. And so this is where, where you know, I, I think that, that COVID will be the same thing. You know, we'll go back and, and, and you'll see all, the, all the, the, the things that, you know, ivermectin and, and, you know, hydroxychloroquine, all that stuff will be just another footnote um, where people were led astray to polarize society and, and cause a lot of trouble for a lot of people and prolong a, a pandemic. Um, and, and all this happens in time. And as my therapist always says, time will be kind. And, mm. uh, and, and he was right. Time has been kind. That as we can go back and look in our rearview mirror and see, you know what, we did the right thing by standing up for science. And we told the truth. And time has shown that we've told the truth. And so that, that's, that's really um, that's good enough for me. So what would the incentive be? You said profit and, and, you know, that's obviously a general incentive, but for what group in particular, like, like who benefits from being anti-GMO besides like you were saying, like organic farmers, maybe, but not even. Yeah. There, there's some uh, groups that their main way of, re of bringing in revenue, uh, Greenpeace, uh, okay. GM watch, um, uh, even uh, center for media and democracy, who I agree with 80% of what they do, but then the 20% is targeting scientists who are in genetic engineering. And, mm -hmm. and why? Because 
that is a place where you can still hit the whole food shopper who is willing to fork over $10 for a cup of pumpkin bisque probably isn't going to be hard to shake down for 50 bucks to go to, uh, to the causes of that organization. Yeah. That's probably the best answer. I imagine you don't even want to be talking about all this controversy stuff kind of in a broad way. It's just kind of been, you know, put upon you as something that you have to talk about, but how much of your time now is dedicated to, you know, just addressing controversy rather than, you know, just addressing your research. Like I was saying, you're a prolific scientific communicator at this point. And, you know, obviously you have time where you, you know, you profess and you research, but in terms of like the conversations that I've heard you have at least, you know, recently, and even, even back to the, um, you know, the Joe Rogan episode, you know, a significant amount of the conversations that you've had have had to deal with, you know, your personal, you know, tribulations as it were. Yeah. I don't know that those are as terribly interesting as they, to me as, and I don't really like talking about them as much as, as right. I should probably, but where they are really useful is that they show people that you can go through this ringer and survive it and that you should be engaging because even when you go through fire, you can come out the other side successfully and that we can forward the mission of science and agriculture um, by simply engaging around it. And that's why I like to talk about it because if, if I can, if I can survive what I've been through and continue to work in light of what you read online, then everybody should be willing to engage. Um, anybody should be willing to engage. The other thing that's really satisfying for me is scientists who call me saying I'm early career and this person is harassing me online and they're harassing my university and they're sending letters. What should I do? And I'll, and I can give them good advice as to how to handle that crisis communication event. And at the same time, talk to their administrator and say, I want you to understand what's happening. Mm. So it's a way that I can rescue people who are also under the same fire. Um, and, and there's a lot of them and people who are afraid of being smeared or having their families targeted or having people show up in front of their, their door with PETA signs saying that you're an animal killer, which I've had to deal with these things. Um, uh, with, I've dealt with faculty, you've had these problems that being able to help them navigate these waters, both by giving them advice, but also being their, their other fist hmm. and taking the fight to the, to the place it needs to happen. Cause I'm not, I'm afraid of nothing right now with this stuff. I've got arrows in my back. I can, I can be the biggest badger on the front line and dealing with their administrators and their universities and also with the, also with their critics. Hmm. And so I'll take on something for somebody else simply to illuminate the plight of somebody else. And I think that that is tremendous benefit for them to realize there's somebody in their corner, but also helps the public who is watching say, this is horrible that this is happening to someone who's simply teaching science. I guess that this has become more common of a phenomenon because you, as you said, it's happened to several of, you know, your colleagues. Yeah. It's happening all the time with people in animal research. It okay. happens in people in any kind of weed science. If you're studying pesticides, the number mm -hmm. of FOIA requests, these freedom of information act requests that some universities get, um, it, it's, it costs millions and millions of dollars to fill in now. Mm -hmm. um, the FDA is receiving millions and millions of requests um, for documents. And they say it'll take 55 years to fill them all. And this was a few weeks ago. Um, there are, they, people have realized that freedom of information requests can have a great role in transparency, but they also can have tremendous roles as harassment 
vehicles. Mm. And then if you want to shut down a university, shut down a speaker, you just harass their university to the point that the university says, we cannot afford to have you teach speaking on controversy. (laughs) And a number of universities have told people, you stay the hell out of this. And even though it's our job to be at the front edge of it. Right. And and so that really bothers me. Ironically enough, it's a phenomenon that you typically see, you know, the the legal system used by, I don't know, uh, you know, just to use a common, um, a common euphemism. People will say things like the big guy. You'll see people, you, you know, you see like a big company shower somebody and, you know, you know, a lawsuit that they can't really afford to, you know, buck up against. That's right. Um, but it's ironic that like universities, you know, in all, at least, you know, as a top five university and I, and I see, you know, they, they sent like an email out with like their giant, you know, amount of money that they've dedicated just for research and that they gotten, you know, for grants and whatnot. So I imagine there's a lot more money there, but it's, it's strange that, you know, academic institutions, you know, places for academic, you know, values, you know, aren't able to stand up even though i guess they have like a lot of um you know they have like a lot of donor ties and they also have of course their image to worry about so there's that and it's a big part of it right the other fun the one that really frosts me is that any any idiot out there who and i all right let me soften that a little bit any concerned citizen out there or malicious whatever Mm -hmm. uh, activist who wants to get my emails where I used the word duh can get um, 450,000 pages of emails that attorneys have to go through every page to scan for student or proprietary or medical information right. and redact that information. So every one of those pages has gone through by legal mind one at a time that we have to be forthcoming with that. Even if it means I have to go through all my records and I have to spend all Monday for six months to produce those records. We are obligated to do that. Yet a former president can say, I'm not going to turn over those things. I don't have to. Mm, right. <laughs> you know, that, that people in the highest reaches of government, um, and, and I'm sure it happens on both sides of the political aisle, somehow are immune to the same levels of transparency that I got to live by. And right. that's what should piss people off. Okay. So I, I was interested, like, what's the kind of backlash that, because, you know, obviously I'm not familiar with it. Like, what's the backlash that people face doing animal research? Like, I know there's animal rights stuff, but like coming from, you know, this, you know, psychological research background, like, yeah, you know, we work with rats and, and you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, obviously there's a rich history of, you know, people using animals in psychological research. Like, I mean, it's still using happening. Humans. Yeah, using yeah. human animals. Yeah, 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 human animals too. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah. at least in psychology, like, I haven't seen like a crazy pushback, but I imagine maybe is it like, I don't know, is it like physiological sort of testing that's being done? That Or ecological testing. Okay. There's all kinds of places where it happens. So here's what normally happens is that they will um, target typically a mother. Mm-hmm. So a young mother who's also a postdoctoral researcher, someone at the beginning of her career stepping off into the next level of her, of her training um, who's on the job market, who already has, uh, who, who has all of her motherly instincts to protect her family in place, they'll go after her. And they'll put signs up around campus saying that she's abusing animals, uh, or that'll say, call so-and-so on her cell phone and tell her how you feel about abusing animals. Show up at her house 
uh, at this time and stand on this public sidewalk in front of her house and chant about you know um, how her children feel about uh, her abusing animals. This kind of pressure hurts people and dissuades them from being present in those kinds of fields or could do that because they don't want their reputations tarnished. They don't want to be attached to this kind of stuff and they don't want the harassment of their families. Mm. And PETA will do this to people and it, it's, it's sickening. And I got into that one a while ago for, on somebody's behalf and went, went in swinging for her. It's just not fair. And, but they're very aggressive this way. They identify the vulnerable people and will go after them like that. Gotcha. It was great talking to you. And I mean, obviously. This was really good. I really, great questions. Thanks for listening. With any questions or comments, feel free to email industryplant at industryplant.co. See you later this summer with another bonus episode of the podcast.